All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, welcome in to episode 19 of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast, a member of the Pigskin Podcast Network of Active Media Labs. My name is Andrew Drozdak, and I am your solo host for this evening. My normal co-host, Thomas Bowen, is out tonight. It is Friday, January the 6th, 2023, and we're recording here tonight to get ready for for a Saturday without football and give you something to talk about. For somebody new or anybody new to our show, this is the X's and O's show for the Jimmys and the Joes. We like to consider ourselves here as slightly above average football fans. We like to think we know a little bit more about the game than the average fan. Maybe not as much as the average coach, but in some cases, we might just know more. So let's get into it tonight. Before we jump into our typical programming, I want to acknowledge college football's and football in general's tough year. It really started with the tragedy with the UVA football program where three players were tragically killed by a former teammate um, earlier this year causing Virginia Tech, or excuse me, Virginia. I apologize to all the Virginia Cavaliers out there for that. Uh to shut down their program for the remainder of the year, deal with that tragedy, unspeakable. Um, Heart still goes out to that program, that community, that team, those families. And then uh, getting ready for the bowl season uh, recently, the tragic and unexpected loss of a legend in college football, modern college football, and Mike Leach passing away, the head coach of Mississippi State, previously of Texas Tech, previously of Washington State, previously offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and Kentucky, where he and Hal Mummy uh, invented, created, innovated the air raid offense that has really changed college football since that time in the mid-1990s to now, um, really in influence the modern passing game in college and now the pro game uh, as much as some of the early pioneers of the West Coast offense and Air Coriel and, and things of that nature. Just a tough loss there. And then most recently, uh, this past Monday on Monday Night Football, uh, the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals were playing and late in the first quarter, Demir, excuse me, Demar Hamlin was struck in the chest on a play where he was tackling wide receiver for Cincinnati, former Clemson Tiger T. Higgins. And it would appear and seems to be have been reported he went into a cardiac arrest event. CPR was administered on the field. Um, An AED was brought out. It was around or over nine minutes of that going on. Players on the field were obviously distraught, both his teammates on the Buffalo Bills as well as players um, on the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a scene that we have not seen on an NFL football field or really any football field before, and it was it was hard. It was tough. I, For anyone who hasn't listened to the show before, I played high school football 
Uh, I coached high school football. I've loved high. I've loved football in general, college, NFL, high school, any type of version of American gridiron football as long as, as I can remember. And I have not seen an event like that on a football field. It was uh, just disturbing, heartbreaking. As of this date, which is again January the sixth, uh, Demar is now off of a ventilator breathing on his own and zoomed zoom called with his Buffalo bill teammates today at a team meeting to say, I love y'all. I love absolutely love that. The first thing he did when he woke up from this event was to write on a notepad because he was unable to speak because he was intubated and, and could not speak wrote on a pad. Did we win? And that is the most football player thing ever. And I just love this guy. The more you get to know about him, the toy drive that has exceeded, I believe, around $5 million at this point, which was he was hoping for $2,500, I believe, when he started this. It's just, it's been a tragic and now hopefully leading to a miraculous recovery story. Um, I do know, again, to mention T. Higgins, um, the wide receiver he was tackling on the play, uh, DeMar's family has reached out to him and, and said, you know, hey, you don't, you don't hold any responsibility for this. You were just playing football. There were some uh, on social media and on typical media, traditional media questioning that, which is appalling and a shame. Uh, those people should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, I was listening to one of my favorite football podcasts earlier this week, the Green Light Pod with uh, Chris Long and his group, and he made mention, um, he said that when he was speaking about this, that he was not going to talk about people making idiotic and terrible statements um, about this event on social media and otherwise. Uh, He mentioned Skip Bayless, Bart Bart Scott um, in particular. Uh, It's atrocious. Um, I don't don't know how to respond to it. It's truly atrocious, Um, and I'll leave it at that. Um, there was a human being lying on the field while his teammates, his brothers, watched as they, they thought he may pass away right there on that field. Um, and for the comments that have been made by those two individuals in particular and others since that time is just um, awful. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, on the opposite side of that, the opposite spectrum of that, I want to give a huge shout-out to Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals and Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills, as the field was cleared and the ambulance that was on the field attending to this young man pulled away with him and the Bills were obviously visibly shaken, the the Bengals as well. I believe the word was, hey, you got five minutes to get back warmed up and we're going to start this game back up. McDermott and Zach Taylor met and, and hugged and shook hands and said, nah, we're not doing that. Uh, you take your team in the locker room. I'll take my team in the locker room, and we'll figure it out from there. Good on them for being human beings, for being humanitarians, for being aware of the situation and realizing as much as they love football and they get paid to coach football and those players on that field get to paid handsomely to play the game of football, that none of that, literally none of that mattered in that moment. Taking a moment to worry and be with their teams as that young man was struggling for his life. And again, more shout out to Zach Taylor as he went and checked on 
Damar in the hospital at the University of Cincinnati Hospital when he could have chosen to go home. It was a home game for the Bengals, whatever the case may be, be with his own team. He he knew where he needed to be. And it just speaks to those two men's uh, character qualities as leaders and just awareness. And I'm proud of both of them as somebody who loves this game uh, that they, they had that wherewithal. So now let's move into happier terms. Uh, so happy DeMar is, is breathing on his own, speaking, and seems to be making a, a, a very f- good recovery. And I, I pray, as everyone else does, that that road to recovery continues to a full recovery. And uh, pray for him, his family, his friends, his teammates, the community, and just hope that we continue to get good news out of that. Let's shift our attention back to college football, and it is bowl season, or it's wrapping up bowl season here on this show. We talk primarily about the South Carolina Gamecocks and their rival, the Clemson Tigers, and then we will hit on big games. Of course, coming up soon is the biggest game of the year, the national championship game on Monday, uh, kickoff at 730 from SoFi Field out in California, and we'll get to that. But first, we're going to talk about the South Carolina Gamecocks Gator Bowl against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and then we'll talk about the Orange Bowl where the Clemson Tigers took on the Tennessee Volunteers. First of all, with the Gator Bowl, overall, my first time in my life, which is hard to believe, attending a South Carolina Gamecock Bowl game, and it was a tremendous experience. Uh, The stadium was wonderful. Uh, the process of getting into the stadium was really, really well done. It was just overall a great experience. I will say there was a tremendous, tremendous amount of Gamecock fans in Jacksonville, Florida. I would say, I think most would say there were more Gamecocks than Irish fans there. But overall, the biggest thing is that stadium was sold out. That game was well attended. It was lively. It was electric. It felt important. And that is what you want from a college bowl game. For the Gamecocks, starting early on, you know, they had, I believe, 21 players in total that were not uh, playing in the game that had seen significant minutes during the season via uh, they were either not there, uh, transfer portal, injury, other reasons, retiring from football, academic reasons. So the Gamecocks were shorthanded, not to make an excuse. But in the first half, the Gamecocks, who were also without their much maligned offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield, seemed to be very creative uh, and explosive on offense in the first half in particular. Uh, There was a tough fumble by Ahmad Brown uh, in the second quarter that put the defense in a short field situation and got the Irish their first score. Uh, I truly loved the swinging gate play on a fake field goal or a field goal alignment, punt alignment for a touchdown in the second quarter. The big swing of this game, in my opinion, happened when the South Carolina Gamecocks really only remaining viable tight end, Nate Atkins, who had become a bit of a impact player, not a bit, a major impact player, particularly in the later part of the season as a blocker and as a pass catcher and, you know, pass blocker, run blocker, got injured. And the South Carolina tight end room had already been depleted tremendously by transfer portal and and other things. So his injury really impacted this game, in my opinion. Um, Overall, 
I felt like Spencer Radler, the quarterback for South Carolina, transfer from Oklahoma, played very well. Um, he did have an interception. It wasn't, you know, a, a tremendous, a terrible decision on that interception, but he did throw for two touchdown passes as well. In the second half, it became obvious that Notre Dame was not worried about the run game from South Carolina, and they started pinning those ears back and coming after the Gamecocks in the past game. Xavier Gett continues to show a lot of promise for next season as a playmaker at wide receiver. That is you know, a great thing for the Gamecocks as Juice Wells, Gamecock fans know there's there's questions. Is he going to go into the NFL draft? Is he going to come back to South Carolina? Could he even potentially enter the transfer portal and leave the University of South Carolina? Um, you know, there's a lot of unknown there, but Xavier Leggett uh, really looked good in this game, um, sh- continued to show some explosive playability that he had shown later uh, in this season to really impact, starting with that Texas A&M opening kickoff return for a touchdown. You know, there were questions during the Tennessee and Clemson game of did offensive coordinator, former offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield, now the offensive coordinator for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, call those two games. I think we could put that conversation to bed because the offensive play calling, good, bad, or indifferent, and we'll talk about all three of those uh, as we review this game, did not look like a Marcus Satterfield game. Did not look like the Tennessee game. Did not look like the Clemson game. Didn't look like any game this season or any game for the past two seasons, in my opinion. Marcus Satterfield was definitely calling the Tennessee game. He was definitely calling the Clemson game. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of comments made or thoughts said that the that rails, so to speak, were put on his game plan. And he was told, reduce your your personnel packages, which means the type of groupings you're going to do, how many tight ends, how many running backs, how many wide receivers, uh, reduce your play calls and get to the good stuff that your team is comfortable with and run those plays. And uh, I, I believe he did that. And uh, I believe he was the one calling, definitely calling those plays. The defense for South Carolina had a mixed night. Um, two pick sixes for South Carolina was not good enough to hold the Irish off. Quarterback Tyler Bunnard, uh, his first pick six was off a tip ball to DQ Smith, and his second was late in the fourth quarter. And what looked like it would be a uh, you know a final shift there for the Gamecocks as O'Donnell Fortune took a pick six from the end zone for over 100 yards for the Gamecocks. Looked like the Gamecocks were going to hang on there. Did not, unfortunately. There was a lot missing on defense. Um, you know, there were players out. Uh, there were injuries that had already happened during the season that already depleted that defense. You know, there was just it, – it was a struggle. There were good moments. There were bad moments. The inability to stop the run, the inability to get – uh, the Irish off the field on third down was really an undoing for this South Carolina defense. Tyler Bunner on third down was a weapon with his legs. Even though he ended up throwing a total of three interceptions, he scored five touchdowns through the air and on the ground. Um, and, and overall, I think ended up being MVP of the game, uh, had a, an overall good game. The fourth quarter on both sides of the ball was a disaster uh, for the Gamecocks. Uh, I don't know. Again, I mentioned over 20 players were out during this game that had made major contributions during the season. And I don't know if the players that were there in Jacksonville by that point, I just run out of gas. Uh, But in the fourth quarter, the Irish gained 202 yards against South Carolina's 32 yards of total offense. Uh, That's just not going to get the job done. The special teams that had oftentimes this season bailed the Gamecocks out in tough moments, along with the defense, I will say, did at times this season. Uh, they had the fake had the fake play for a touchdown, 
and did things of that nature. But there were penalties, um, some that may have not been worthy of being called, some that were so bad that Shane Beamer, who's pretty level-headed, cool customer on the field, got a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty on, uh, that the special teams game was a bit of a mixed bag. So when you add all those things together, South Carolina fell short against the Irish I have to say I'm not one for moral victories, but I will say the players that were on the field in Jacksonville, Florida at that game played hard, um, you know, worked hard, stayed focused, didn't start pointing fingers at each other, didn't start accusing each other of of things, didn't give up. Um, There were some questionable play callings, definitely some questioning, questionable officiating. And at the end of the day, the Gamecocks came up short. But overall, you have to be encouraged in a way by the effort um, and given the previous regime's lack of effort at times. Yes, I'm talking about the must champ era. Uh, And so it's overall never a good thing to lose a football game. And I'm not going to sit here and sunshine pump and pretend like, hey, you know, eight and five, tough opponent, this, that, and the other. End of the day, you lost the football game. That's not a fun thing. That's a bad taste in your mouth. But there was fight, so maybe there is something to build on. Next week, Thomas and I will get more into a wrap-up of this season, a look ahead to next season, um, and what the Gamecocks will need to do to build on this season. Shane Beamer, head coach, did get a substantial raise today um, via the South Carolina Board of Directors meeting. He will now make $6.5 million a year through 2017, which puts him, I believe, in you know middle of the pack SEC football he uh coaches he was one i believe before that making 2.5 so a good race for him and a well-deserved one all right let's move on to the orange bowl uh interesting game yes uh for anybody who is maybe from outside of the state of south carolina or even tennessee or the southeast that could be listening to this game so this season south carolina in back-to-back games beat the tennessee volunteers when they were ranked in the top 10 and the Clemson Tigers when they were ranked in the top 10 and those losses for those two teams probably kept or at least took them out of consideration for playoff the college football playoff which we'll talk about those games in a few minutes and so some South Carolina fans took it upon themselves I was not one I was not involved I'll say that out loud uh, and putting some money together and paying for a plane to fly a banner over that says, enjoy your bowl game, dash Gamecocks. Was it petty? Was it immature? Was it, you know, all of those negative things? Maybe you think that. I think it's college football, and I think it's rivals. And you know what? If next season when South Carolina travels to Knoxville, if they get the revenge they want, they're going to rub it in South Carolina's face. Do I put it beyond Vols fans to have a plane flying over williams Bryce Stadium the next week? No. Um, I, I get that. And that's, that's, that's honestly part of what makes this game fun. It's what makes this a, a sport. We're here for entertainment. Um, you know, it didn't say anything vulgar. It didn't say anything crash. It didn't wasn't accusatory. It was just you know a little poke. Uh, and ultimately, did it need to happen? Maybe not. But I got no problem with it. Of course, I'm a Gamecock fan, so we'll move on. South, or excuse me, Clemson's offense in this game in the Orange Bowl against the Tennessee Volunteers did not look good. 
Um, freshman quarterback Cade Klubnick got the start after DJU had been benched and has now transferred to Oregon State um, after entering the transfer portal and obviously not playing in this game. He got the start. He was asked to throw the ball 54 times in this game. He threw zero touchdowns, two interceptions, and was sacked four times. Previously, in a previous in previous seasons, uh, Clemson had a situation where they had Kelly Bryant at quarterback and a all-world true freshman by the name of Trevor Lawrence sitting on the sideline ready to take over. And Trevor came in and led them to a national championship. And, you know, Coach Sweeney seemed to go... It worked once. Let's let it work again. Or maybe he didn't even think that. Maybe he thought, hey, we just need a new, fresh out- outlook. Whatever the case may be, Cade Klubnett, no disrespect to that young man. He is a, a freshman, a true freshman who was playing high school football last year. At this time, probably getting ready for his prom and was in the Orange Bowl <clears throat> against a very good Tennessee football team. And he looked outmatched. Doesn't mean, in my opinion, that his career can't go on to be very good. Do I think he's an elite talent at the college level like a a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson? No, I do not, um, based on what we've seen this season. But that doesn't mean he can't have a good year, several good years, even better. can continue to grow. Just a tough spot to put that young man in. And, uh, you know, it looked looked bad at times on offense for, for Clemson's offense. Clemson's kicker, B.T. Potter, had... Just quite honestly, a very bad game. Uh, started off the game 0 for 3, finished 5 for 2, uh, 2 for 5, excuse me, on field goals. Really put Clemson behind the eight ball. This Tennessee offense with Joe Milton at quarterback, replacing injured uh, Hayden Hooker, uh, still just steamrolled this tennis, this Clemson defense, vaulted Clemson defense, used to be the, the backbone of the Clemson program and has been a little bit maligned this season, and this game just certainly did not help that. The Clemson fan base has to be concerned. Um, is the sky falling? No, the sky's not falling. This is a Clemson team that's not that far, one season removed, I guess, uh, from being in contention and ready for the playoff and, you know, a couple seasons removed from playing for the national championship and only a few seasons removed from winning one. And <clears throat> so the, the end is not near, but things are not trending in the right direction. And there's questions about, you know, internal promotions on the staff. There's questions about play calling. There's questions about personnel decisions. It's, not sunshine and roses up in Clemson right now. This is not the offseason they wanted. Um, still have a great recruiting class, but not as great as they've had in the past. You have to, if you're being honest, and I know I'm a Gamecock fan, and any Clemson fan that might be listening going, of course you want to believe this, and of course I do. Y'all are our rival. <clears throat> it does look like a backslide. Am I saying it fell off a cliff? Absolutely not. But it looks like a bit of a backslide, and they've got to right the ship. And it's going to be interesting to see how things go next season. Again, next week, Thomas and I will break down Clemson's season, look ahead to their next year's 2023 season, and 
where they need to go to rebuild, not rebuild, that's not the right word because this is still a very, very, very productive and good football team and program, but where they need to go to right the ship because it's not headed in the right direction. All right, let's move ahead to the college football playoff and look at the semifinals game. Starting off with the fact that these were the two best semifinal college football playoff games in in my mind. Just two heavyweight fights, thrilling, back and forth, big plays, dramatic moments, you know, just everything you want in a football game. And even if you are a slightly below average football fan or just, you know, not a huge football fan in general, and you just happen to be at a New Year's Eve party in this game, these two games were on, you were watching. They were exciting. They were fun. It was great. So starting with the Fiesta Bowl, the Michigan versus TCU game, I don't think a whole lot of people, including myself uh, and Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy, more on that later, gave TCU a whole lot of a chance in this game. Uh, And TCU continues this season to be on a Cinderella run and continues to answer the bell. I will admit during the regular season, I didn't watch a whole lot of TCU. I I saw what they were doing. I saw their record. I saw how they were continuing throughout the season. But ultimately, I just, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot of their games. Watched the Big 12 championship. Watched every second of this game. Max Duggan uh, has quickly become one of my favorite players in college football. Um, Just a lot of fun to watch. This was overall an offensive shootout. I do wonder what Michigan could have done if Blake Corum would have still been healthy in their starting running back. But Donovan Edwards got gave a great effort with 119 yards on 23 carries. But because Michigan got behind early after getting too cute in the late and the low red zone on their first possession where they had on the very first play of the game run a ISO, which is what you need to run against the 335 alignment on defense. And for anybody who's unfamiliar with those terms, 335 refers to the defensive line, the linebackers, and the defensive secondary. Three down linemen, three linebackers five in the secondary. It's designed to stop the passing game with some hybrid players to help in the run. Traditional uh, defenses are a 4-3, a four-down lineman, three-linebacker, or a 3-4, three-down lineman, four-linebacker. So seven guys in the box. This is six guys in the box every play. And J.J. McCarthy had said, hey, if they do that, if if TCU does that, we're going to come out and mash them. And honestly, that should have been their game plan. It looked like that was their game plan early on that they were going to do that, they being Michigan, with a 54-yard run to start the game. But, you know, excuse me, maybe it was uh, 59 yards. At the end of the day, though, Michigan fell flat on their face at the one, two yard line, tried to get cute on fourth and goal and do a version of Philly, Philly, the old Philly special. Don't do that. You're not the Eagles. You're not Dougie fresh. You're not Nick folds. I'm just saying, don't try it. But the ultimately the Michigan Wolverines get stopped there. And even though that was a huge play for TCU, Very soon after that, a possession or so later, Max Duggan throws an interception on a deflected pass. The very next play, J.J. McCarthy goes 50-plus yards on a deep pass play that was originally called a touchdown and then controversially reviewed and put at the one-yard line. And what does Michigan do? Michigan fumbles the ball away, and all of a sudden, Michigan's in a 14-0 hole 
And it just, Michigan kept shooting themselves in the foot at times and just not coming up with big plays. TCU kept coming up with big plays on both sides of the ball. As undersized as that 3-3-5 team can be, they are experienced, they are gritty, they know what they're doing. There's a lot of transfers and JUCO guys on that defense that might be ranked super high statistically. They have played a lot of college football and have did really showed up in this game, showed a lot of speed, seemed to match speed with Michigan better than anybody, including me, would have thought. You know, J.J. McCarthy basically called out TCU and acted as if they were a foregone conclusion and started talking about I can't wait to um, play Ohio State in the state in the national championship as a rematch or take on Georgia. He ended up throwing two pick sixes. You know, Michigan came up short. Now, in most recent Michigan news today, there is allegedly uh, an NCAA NCAA investigation into Michigan and Jim Harbaugh for some pretty serious violations. There's also rumors out of Ann Arbor, uh, out of Charlotte, North Carolina, out of Denver, Colorado, out of Indianapolis, Indiana, that... Jim Harbaugh was interviewing for NFL jobs, much like he did with the Minnesota Vikings last year and ended up coming back to Michigan. I see Harbaugh going to the pros. What does that mean for Michigan as far as who's going to be their next head coach? And especially, especially with these potential violations and the transfer portal being what it is, is Michigan going to go very quickly from two times in the playoffs back-to-back to to a stark drop if Harbaugh leaves and or if the NCAA hits them with some heavy violations. Interesting to watch what will happen in the offseason in Ann Arbor. Moving now to the Peach Bowl, UGA versus Ohio State, University of Georgia versus Ohio State. This, folks, was a ball game. First off, C.J. Stroud was the best player on that football field. He continues to convince me that he is the most NFL-ready quarterback of anybody who could potentially be in the NFL draft this coming April, although there are rumors he is considering not going in this season's draft or this offseason's draft and coming back. NIL money could help him with that. He may want to play some more college football, have a bad taste in his mouth that he lost the one-point game in the college football playoff and wants some redemption and can get paid now in college and wants to do it. Who knows what happens, but this was a great game. Overall combined for 83 points and only seven punts in the game. Here's an interesting stat. Ohio State had two separate 14-point leads, one at 21-7, to early in the second quarter, and one at 38-24 at the end of the third quarter, Ohio State's defense kept giving up explosive plays, including a 47-yard pass in the second quarter when they're up 14 points, and then a wide-open 76-yard touchdown pass midway through between or midway in the fourth quarter when the Buckeyes were up 38-27. With the two-point conversion, they were within three after that play. This defense did not show up, in my opinion. Even when Georgia took the lead with 54 seconds left, up 42-41, to C.J. Stroud, after a 
non-targeting call in the third quarter, controversially overturned, taking Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the game, led his team to a 50 to in range for a 50-yard field goal to win the game. This says a lot, in my opinion, uh, first about C.J. Stroud and the player he is and the bounce back he had from his uh, subpar performance for his ability against Michigan earlier this year, uh, most recently at the end of the regular season game in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, But also this, this Georgia defense is not the dominance defense that it was last year. There are some injuries involved. There are other issues, particularly in the weak part of the middle of the field, in my opinion. Also, I have to point out, I am overall disappointed in Jalen Carter, defensive tackle for University of Georgia number 88. Typically a a force, but really didn't have much of an impact on a game. Typically, a defensive tackle is not going to stuff the stat box. He's not going to have 10 tackles and five sacks and an interception, but he's going to impact the game. I don't feel like he had an impact. He did not even register a tackle during the game. Since Bennett did have a pick early in the game, but overall didn't hurt Georgia that much. Overall, he played a very, very good football game. A lot of yards, good completions. Jeff Munkin continues to use this offensive system he's developed with some horizontal passing game to help make early passes, easy passes for Stinson to make to give him an opportunity to easily take advantage of space and getting his playmakers the ball in space uh but he continued to perform well made some great runs as well when the time called for it you know at the end of the day since bennett looked great in this game really bounced back really deserved to not have this outcome in many ways it's really upsetting that he did for him for ohio state fans for his family hate it for him Speaking of upsetting, Ohio State did have a chance to win this game. They lined up for a, I believe it was officially a 48-yard field goal. Noah Ruggles, Ruggles, yep, Ruggles lined up, and he had made some kicks earlier in the game. And it was just not the kick he would want. It was it was ugly coming off his foot. It looked kind of like a shank in golf. It was, or I guess really more of a duck hook. But... It was just not the attempt he would want in that situation. If you're a kicker, if you're a quarterback, if you're anybody who loves sports, you grew up in your backyard hitting the game-winning home run in the World Series, throwing the game-winning touchdown, making the game-winning three-point shot, kicking the game-winning field goal. So he had that chance, and and unfortunately for him, it did not work out. He is a senior. I I don't know his eligibility situation, um, but I would say that there's a good chance that's his last chance to kick at Ohio State, which is heartbreaking for that situation. Um, I will say from what I've read, Ohio State fans have been very supportive of him, haven't come after him in a way. Uh, you know, that's that's positive. Again, if, if I'm an Ohio State fan and I want to blame somebody, I'm blaming this defense. The defense did not do a good enough job to win this game. And so he shouldn't have ever been in that position. <clears throat> All right, let's move to the national championship. Before we talk about that, Let's talk about the fans, the tradition, the glory. There's nothing more thrilling than college football and all it comes down to the national championship game happening on Monday. My go-to for betting is DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-ranked 
sportsbook apps. We're going to talk a minute about the national championship, what I think you should pick, what I would tell you to bet on. And right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose. Plus, everyone can combine multiple bets for a bigger payout with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code TPPN. New customers bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code TPPN only at Sports Kings, DraftKings, excuse me, Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility requirements apply. See show notes for details. All right, let's talk about the national championship. We have the Georgia Bulldogs taking on the Texas Christian Horn Frogs. You got to expect some points here. Georgia's defense, as I mentioned previously, has has not been substantial, has not been dominant, especially here of late, really since their their game at home against Tennessee. Um, And they have a lot of question marks there. TCU's offense keeps showing that they can play with anybody. Last season, and this season as well, Stinson Bennett has been a great story. A a former walk-on who transferred to junior college from Georgia, went back to Georgia, got the opportunity to start, led them to a national championship. This season ended up as a Heisman Trophy finalist and is going to have the chance to win national championships back-to-back on Monday night for the first time in a really long time for a lot of quarterbacks. But Max Duggan may be as good of a story, and TCU may be as good of a story. New head coach Sonny Dykes is in his first year at TCU. Last season, they went 5-7. and seven. Max Duggan was told at the beginning of this season that he would not be the starter. Chandler Morris, son of former head coach, longtime coach Chad Morris at SMU and Arkansas, an offensive coordinator at Clemson and uh, an offensive coordinator at Arkansas, I believe, um, would be the starter. He got injured in the third quarter against Colorado in the first game of the season, and Max Duggan, who had previously been the starter, said, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to be the best backup quarterback in the nation, gets his chance, leads his team to an undefeated regular season, Darn near carried them on his back to a Big 12 championship, lost in overtime there, and was a Heisman Trophy finalist, and now is within one game of taking TCU to its first national football championship since 1938. Those are some great storylines. If you don't like them, you might want to mute your TV on ESPN, Fox Sports, the ringer.com, all of the, anybody who covers the athletic, anybody who covers sports, because that's what you're going to be reading about. The Cinderella team of the TCU Horn Frogs, the unlikely season of Max Duggan, uh, Stinson Bennett's journey in college football, his lifetime fandom of the University of Georgia Bulldogs, and now leading them to what he's doing. It is going to be a very interesting storyline. There was going to be a potential for a great storyline of Ohio State, Michigan, 
potentially playing uh, a rematch for a national championship. That didn't happen. This is still a very interesting game. There is a lot to consider here. Now, the point spread is as of late, the last time I checked, 12 and a half points. Michigan, or excuse me, UGA is favored by 12 and a half points over TCU. It's a big spread. Um, and that indicates that like many times with TCU this season, especially even last game, they experts in Vegas and elsewhere feel as though they are outmatched. I certainly felt they were against the Michigan Wolverines, but they showed up, they showed out, they won the game. They're here. This is a gritty group, a veteran group, a focused group with a high-powered offense, and they have nothing to lose. No one, not even the biggest TCU Horned Frog fan in Texas thought that TCU would be in this game at the beginning of this season. There isn't a person who would tell you if they are being honest with you that they thought they had a realistic chance. But here they are. Georgia had a lot to replace and a lot of players who had big, big impact players to replace. And at times this season, they did look vulnerable in certain games. Their defense in this past game and the semifinal game against Ohio State certainly did not look dominant. This team looks to be slightly vulnerable, particularly on defense. So they're, in my mind, even though it's a 12 and a half point spread, I think there's question. I think there's there's curiosity. Keys to the game. Texas Christians got to start off quickly. One of the things they did against Michigan is they started off quickly and they got Michigan in a situation where they couldn't run the ball and keep up, or they at least felt like they couldn't. They have to start off strongly. In order to do that, Max Duggan's going to have to do a little bit better job of taking care of the ball. He's thrown some picks in the Big 12 game and in the game uh, against Michigan. Granted, it was a, de- a deflected ball, but he's got to do a really good job taking care of that ball. Particularly, he's got to throw the ball better in the deep part of the field. It looked as though UGA's defense against Ohio State was vulnerable in the deep middle of the field. TCU needs to be able to throw deep in routes, post routes, and even a air raid staple, which Garrett Riley will be running the air raid offense with his version of the power running game, QB running game with Max Duggan, similar to what his brother Lincoln Riley does at Southern Cal. Uh, And they need to be able to hit the middle of the field. That seems to be Georgia's weak spot. That seems to be Georgia's area to attack if you can protect your quarterback long enough to get it there. I, If TCU is going to win this football game, they've got to start early and they've got to hit the middle. Georgia and their offensive quarter, Jeff Monken, is a smart, innovative guy in a way. He He's learned and figured out with Stinson Bennett that he needs to get some horizontal early quick passes in the flat and in the, around the hashes and in the seams to give sense and easy reads and to get his play care his his playmakers the ball in space i think also he's got to commit to the run game if you're running a 335 defense a 335 defensive coordinator will tell you the biggest issue that they face when they're running that defense is stopping the inside run 
ISO, duo, inside zone with that QB read with Bennett who can run a little bit. Those need to be their bread and butter. Also, they need to be able to utilize their huge mismatch at tight end. Darnell Washington, one of their stud tight ends, hurt his ankle in the Ohio State game at the Peach Bowl. It's questionable on if he is going to be able to play in this game on Monday. If he is not able to go, that will be somewhat of a uh, an issue for Georgia, but they have plenty of very good tight ends, including Brock Bowers, the best tight end in the country, in my opinion. But they have this two tight end set that they run with Washington and Bowers out there that I think is a huge, huge, huge mismatch for TCU for their formation on defense at a 3-3-5 for their personnel with the speed at linebacker versus the size and speed of these tight ends. If he is able to go, that is a big, big advantage for Georgia. Honestly, I don't have a good answer for you on what I think this game is going to look like. Vegas put this game at a a 12.5-point spread. They aren't expecting a good game. Um, That is for sure with that big of a spread. But TCU keeps showing up. If I'm putting money on DraftKings Sportsbook app on this game, I don't know that I'm touching the spread. Look at Moneyline. Hit the over. Honestly, we've all just really got to want to see a good game. Georgia, as I mentioned, has shown cracks in their defense. TCU has had their defense is statistically not great. And at times, Max Duggan and, and a few others have made some, some poor things happen on the offensive side of the ball. It does feel as though TCU has to come out, start early, play well, and get breaks. They got breaks against Michigan. That's how football works. They got turnovers. You know, there was an early pick six there by McCarthy that was a bad out route that turned into a touchdown. They, they need things like that to happen uh, in this game on Monday as well, but they can't also turn the ball over. They need sustained drives. You can't go three and out. It's going to be interesting to watch to see what can happen in this ball game. Can TCU weather the storm? Can TCU stand up to the physically uh, bigger UGA team, does UGA impose their will on this TCU team? Hopefully it's a good ball game. Hopefully it's fun to watch. Hopefully it's a reason to stay up late on a work night on Monday. Please, as we always do on this show, NCAA, we are begging, play this game on a Saturday. Please stop playing it on Monday night. I don't know why this is happening. There's got to be a reason, but this is college football. Play on a Saturday. Come on, guys. Help us out here. I mean, even a Sunday, don't do this to us on a Monday. Thank you for at least starting it earlier than you have been in the past. But let's play this game on a Saturday night. All right, fans, that's the end of the show for this week. Follow us on social media at SAA Football Fan on Twitter and Instagram. We can be found in email, uh, SAA Football Fan at gmail.com. If you want to email us, ask us a question, whatever the case may be. We will be back next week to do a season wrap up on college football, on the South Carolina Gamecocks, a little bit on the Clemson Tigers, and we'll probably talk a little NIL and transfer portal. Until then, we'll see you next time. <laughs>